welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. I have something really burning on my heart tonight. It's a, uh, it's a message that I want to call Hope Rules. And uh, I really feel without a shadow of a doubt that this is a defining message. I, I feel if for nobody else and for myself. And so I'll be hopefully lapping this up myself and enjoying it. But I I really feel that this is a significant word for the season that many of us are in as we're heading forward into the next decade. And so I feel with all my heart, uh, we're talking about hope rules tonight. Can you say that with me? Hope rules. rules. One more time. Hope Hope rules. And we're in the midst of talking about a star is born in the middle of our Christmas season. And uh, just before I talk about hope rules, just to set the scene of how significant this season is and how important it is that we know exactly what it is that we're coming together to celebrate during this season, I need to tell you a story about my daughter Zoe. And, and to tell the story, I, I really felt it important to show you a picture of her tonight because I know that Zoe doesn't often run in to the service while we're speaking. She often runs in when nobody else is here so that she can raid all the mints that are left down <laughs> on the ground. I think my daughter is addicted to mints like crazy. She just comes in with a mouthful. But we have a picture of Zoe to put up on the screen. Oh my gosh, I'm smitten. I could just look at this picture all night. She's amazing. She has me wrapped around her little finger and I'm not ashamed, not even a little bit ashamed. But she's actually sitting on the lap of Santa Claus, who is the amazing Bobby Pike. Bobby, thank you for being the best Santa Claus. Sorry, everybody. The best Santa Claus there is. And uh, just before I tell my story about uh, Zoe and Christmas, I I just had to mention this, that uh, Zoe's faith in Santa Claus was destroyed last week. See, she's a church kid and so she gets to see things behind the scenes and it just happened to be that after our PM service, we were hanging around late and she'd had a picture with Santa Claus and she was pumped. She was over the moon. But as everybody was leaving, Santa Claus got up to get changed. Santa Claus was smart. Santa Claus did not get changed out in a public place because then that person would never be Santa Claus again. But Santa Claus went into the offices and got changed in a private area that it happened to be that my daughter had access to. And I saw the shocked, devastated picture on my daughter's face when she came running out and basically said, where's Santa Claus? What did uncle do with Santa Claus? (laughs) And we had to let her down gently that that was actually not Santa Claus, darling. That was uncle. To which she's now fine and she calls every Santa Claus she sees Uncle Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not the story I wanted to share about her. That's just to set the scene so you know who she is. Uh, Rhiannon was at the dinner table with her uh, uh, last week and I was getting home a little bit late and so they started dinner by having uh, a time to give thanks and Rhiannon had the bright idea, my beautiful wife is full of faith, to ask the children, what does Christmas mean to you? And Zoe, being our, our, our middle child, does not hold back. She just jumps into every situation and circumstance. Nothing is going to hold her back. And immediately she jumped in with the answer that she believed was correct with all her heart. What is the meaning of Christmas? Dollhouses. <laughs> she wanted a dollhouse for Christmas. What's the meaning of Christmas? 
dollhouses. There's an opportunity for us to talk about the fact that Christmas is actually about Christ coming to meet with us. Christmas is Jesus Himself invading our space. God Himself to humble Himself to be born as a man so that each and every one of us could encounter Him in His purest form. Love incarnate. And so tonight I want to talk to you about the importance of Jesus being the star that was born for us and how that hope changes and transforms us. Is that okay? Let me pray as we begin. Father God, I thank You that You wanna speak in and through Your Word tonight. And I ask each and every one of us to have ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to us. Thank You that You are going to leave a lasting deposit that will make a difference in all our lives in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Amen. I wanna bring a Scripture out of the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, talking about the wise men. It says, after hearing the king, they went on their way. These wise men had travelled from a long distance. They'd been waiting for a sign to show them that the Messiah, the one who was going to save the world was born. And they'd been looking for these signs and they'd been looking in a land that was their homeland, but they knew that the Messiah was gonna come in a land that was not their own. So they had to travel to go and find this Messiah that they'd been waiting for and said, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. So these wise men had been searching and hoping for a star to rise. They'd been searching not only just their entire lives, but the wise men that had come before them. It seems that what we understand about this group of people is that they had been holding on to a promise that had been given to them for hundreds of years that there would be one born who was worth all the worship, that there would be one born that it was worth locking aside our riches and our resources to come and lay before Him. That these people had been waiting in confident expectation that this one would be born. And so when the star rose and they followed it from their homeland to a different land, they went with confident expectation that they were going to meet the one that they were waiting for. And they'd been waiting for this star because it'd been something that had been talked about in the people of God for thousands of years. It means something that countless generations have been waiting for, waiting for, waiting for, waiting for, waiting for. They knew that there was going to come a time where God Himself was gonna do something so outlandish and different that they couldn't explain or understand it, but they were waiting in confident expectation. And so for thousands of years, they'd been waiting on a promise that a star would be born. Even so, they held on to key Scriptures like, The book of Numbers, a book that had been written thousands of years before Christ's birth. And it says in Numbers 24, 17, I see Him, but not now. I perceive Him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. 
I'm gonna say that again. I see Him, but not now. Can you imagine living in that day and age, thousands of years before Jesus was born, where you can see in your heart that there is hope on the horizon, but it's not now. Could you imagine holding on to that for your entire life, not knowing who Jesus was and who He was to be, but to hold on to that nonetheless? And to say, I have a confident expectation that who I see, who is not here now, is coming. I see Him, but not now. I perceive Him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel and He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down the Sephites. See, this Scripture had been written thousands of years before. Thousands of years before the wise men showed up on the scene. Thousands of years before Jesus Himself had been born. And it's an interesting part of the Scriptures because a prophet wrote that but not a prophet of God, not a prophet that loves God. The name of that prophet was a man, Balaam. Can you say Balaam? What an interesting name. Why don't people name their children Balaam nowadays? And Balaam's deal was long time before the star was born, that he was employed by a nation called the Moabites. And they employed his services because he was a well-known soothsayer. He was a well-known practitioner of curses. That he was so well-known that an entire nation employed him so that he could come and put a curse on God's people. Could you imagine that? God's people are trying to move through the land and establish themselves and prepare for the hope that was to come. But the nations around them sought to oppress them and hold them back at every turn. And so the Moabites hired this man named Balaam and they hired him for the purpose of cursing the people of Israel. There should be no hope here. We want hopelessness. And so in their cursing, they employed this man named Balaam. Balaam comes on the scene and tries to curse the people of God and he gets nowhere. The only thing that can come out of his mouth is to confirm that God has blessed them. He can't curse them. And instead of that, he starts prophesying about their future. And this Scripture in Numbers is part of that prophecy where he sees beyond the here and now in this moment and he sees coming a time, a star will be born out of Jacob, a scepter will arise out of Israel and this is the one that you're waiting for. A man that didn't love God got a picture of the love of God. And I think it's amazing that he used those words. So the people of God the Israelites drew their heritage from men of faith that had left their homeland to jump out and establish something that had never existed before, a nation set apart to worship and love the one true God. And as they were drawn out, they had to fight against indifference, pressure and opposition to establish something that would stand the test of time. One of the fathers of that entire nation was a man named Jacob. And I wanna apologise for everybody that's named Jacob here today. Jacob, you are a lovely man. But what I'm about to say about your name does not represent you whatsoever. And for every other Jacob here. 
But the account goes that this man named Jacob, who ends up being the father of Israel, who fathers the 12 tribes of Israel, who establishes the nation through his birthright, was a man who was born into a family and at a time in history where only the firstborn got all the blessing. Could you imagine being in a day and age where only the firstborn got all the blessing and you weren't able to participate as much as you wanted to? And so he was born, but the trick is he was actually a twin and he was born second out of the two twins. So not only was he second born, but he was just pipped at the gate by the twin that was a little bit too selfish to jump out on his own. And he was named Jacob because when he was born, he came out holding the ankle of his older brother. And the name Jacob means supplanter or even deceiver. And Jacob lived up to this name. See, Jacob wanted the blessing that belonged to his older brother. And Jacob was willing to do whatever it took to get it. And so Jacob lived his early life scheming, planning, preparing to steal the blessing and the birthright that belonged to his older brother because he wanted it for himself. See, the story of Jacob is the story of somebody who was actually called by God who was actually in God's plans and purposes, his choice, but he was somebody who was unwilling to live his life in a way where he lived surrendered to whatever God was gonna do in and through him. Instead, he lived his life in a way where I will make it happen and I will make it through my own will. Jacob was a deceiver. But the good news is Jacob is transformed after he has an encounter with God because he ends up deceiving his entire family, robbing his brother of his birthright, leaving the family home to go into another land. And years later has his own encounter with God where God Himself gives him his own blessing and changes his name from Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver, the one who steals from others and turns him into Israel. And Israel means one who reigns with God. So he went from supplanter, somebody who seeks to grab at the heel of somebody, somebody who seeks to pull people down to one who is positioned to reign with God in life. And he lives up to that name. He lived down to the name Jacob, but he ends up living up to the name Israel. And so when Balaam says this prophecy, I don't believe it's a mistake that he says a star is born in Jacob and a scepter arises in Israel. Because here's what I believe he's saying to the people of God. Again, people where he didn't even believe in God the same way they did. He says a star will arise in Jacob. Why would he use that terminology? Why wouldn't he just say Israel? He says a star will rise in Jacob because there are people, even in the people of God, who have the promises of God, who have the destiny of God, who have been born and set apart to inherit the things of God. But so many of us live our lives trying to make it happen on our own strength. That we live bound up within ourselves like Jacob, not even meaning to, but thinking, how can I make this happen? And we live a life where not only do we potentially deceive others, we deceive ourselves. And so what is the importance that a star is born in Jacob? Well, star causes you to look up. 
See, imagine this. When I picture Jacob, I picture somebody who lived their entire life at that point, hunched down and looking down looking down at where their feet were going because they're trying to dictate where their feet stood apart from a relationship with God. And as they're looking down their entire time in their mind trying to think, how do I make this happen? 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 Which led him down the road of deceit and ultimately deceiving himself. What's the importance of a star? It causes those of us who are looking down to look up. It causes us to look up. And in the midst of looking up, we get out of ourselves. We see beyond the constraints. We see beyond whatever seems to be whirling around and around. And we're able to set our attention on something that is beyond us, but we know we can head towards it. A star is born in Jacob. That speaks to me of a living Hope. Hope simply means confident expectation. And I think that's the furthest thing from the mind of a Jacob. Not this Jacob. But a Jacob who was caught up in self-deceit. As if I can make my own way that's going to last. If I'm willing to just stop and look up and see, that gives birth to hope that there is a way even beyond myself and there's a way that He's providing. Balaam, the prophet who did not honour God, prophesies that the people were gonna have born out of their mist, a star in Jacob, a scepter in Israel. Scepter isn't a common term that we use nowadays, but It's a term that was to symbolise the rule and reign of kingship. That a scepter was simply a staff, but a very formal staff or a very formal rod. And a king would take it, especially at points of coronation, to symbolise the fact that they were called to shepherd and protect their people. The scepter had in it the idea that there was a position and a responsibility in authority. And that if you live out of that, that causes you to live in right relationship with who God has called you to be. And so the people of Jacob deceived, stuck, lost their way, could look up and see a star in confident expectation. And in the midst of looking up to see a star, in the midst of setting their heart on hope, a confident expectation that God would even make a way where there didn't seem to be a way, that in the middle of doing that, every single one of them could potentially be transformed into an Israel, somebody who was put in position to rule and reign in life with God. So I believe hope speaks to us about our posture. Our posture. See, I don't know about you, but I've caught myself so many times with a posture, head down, glued to this. For amazing things like the recent MBA score and everything in between, and none of that's bad. But you know that they've proven that a posture like this not only crinks your neck eventually, but actually suppresses some of the healthy chemicals in your body. That living with a posture that is upright, stretched out, 
willing to look up, even in your body unlocks senses and feelings that make a difference. So I believe hope speaks to us about posture. And I believe the scepter speaks to us about reigning in life with God. It speaks to us about our position. So what is our posture and what is our position? Elsewhere in the Scriptures, it says in the book of Romans, talking about hope. Romans 8.28, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purposes. Romans 5, 1-5 says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope. Can you say hope? One more time, hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Who rejoices in their afflictions? We also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Later on, it says in 1 Peter 1 chapter 3, that we've been given a new and living hope through Christ. If hope is confident expectation, what happens to us when we're sapped of confidence and we lose our expectation? When we head into a new decade without a purpose or a position to reign from? It is so easy for the people of God to forget that they're called to be in Israel and to live out of a position of a Jacob. But confident expectation transforms us and shapes us into who we're meant to be. There is a new and living hope given for every single one of us in every single way. The book of Ephesians, chapter two, verse four to six. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we're dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He has also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavens in Christ Jesus. We rule in life when we come alongside Jesus that there is a position for each and every person in the Kingdom of God to take hold of everything that He has for us. And as we take hold of that, He pulls us up out of any position we find ourselves in and He sits us as if we're with Him in heaven itself. So I wanna challenge us tonight. The deception the idea that I have to fix it myself, the idea that I can't do anything but forge my own way out without Him won't make a difference in the end, except for being willing to say, I need the star that was born for me. I need 
to take hold of Him who has the scepter to rule and reign. And by taking hold of Him, I actually take hold of the scepter as well so that I can rule and reign in life with Him. Every single one of us are called to be the head and not the tail. Every single one of us are called to rule and reign in life with Christ Jesus. Every single one of us is called to be an Israel and not a Jacob. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.